Leave Danny DeVito alone. It's never gonna happen. Stop trying to make it up. Let me lick the wax out of your ears. What are you doing here? Why don't you take this bottle and go to bed? Paradiso. Can I start the episode? Shut up! <laughs> Can I start the episode? Comment. Hello everybody, and welcome to our 12th and final episode for this season of Cinephile Paradiso. I'm with my mischievous Christmas elf, or ho, David Charles Collins, and I am Quade Kirshner. Tee hee hee, I'm the elf on the shelf, don't touch me or Santa dies. Just kidding, touch me. Oh, how are you, David? I'm well, I'm getting in the spirit, how are you? Well, I love that you said that, because are you feeling the Christmas spirit now that we're in December? I mean, if you mean, am I getting anxious about all the Christmas... Pr no, I don't know. I don't know, am I in the spirit? No. <laughs> so even after watching these Christmas movies, you don't feel like you're in the spirit? Well, see, one of the Christmas movies, I think, was a very sort of nostalgic idea of what I thought Christmas used to be, or what I felt like I should feel like Christmas is. And the other one, after watching it again, I'll agree that it's a Christmas movie, but it felt like more of a New Year's movie. Interesting. Well, I guess we'll get into that later. Uh, initially, I wasn't really in the Christmas spirit. I felt a bit dead inside, and I thought that the only thing that would save me would be to, like, tie me to a screen and put the Polar Express on repeat. But I have to say, after watching these two Christmas films, I feel a little bit of, like... An oomph, a bit of energy inside me. I'm not so dead inside anymore. Really? Because your eyes look as blank and dead and staring off into the distance as the characters from the Polar Express. Terrifying movie. Oh, it, it's the opium. <laughs> <laughs> what were our potential Christmas picks? Look, I'm actually really glad that we didn't pick Love Actually, because despite- I've never seen Love Actually. I've seen that movie probably more than any other movie, because it's the movie that so many people I know put on at Christmas to get into the Christmas spirit. And I actually think it's a very terrible, very problematic film, but people tend oh, to love it. Why is it problematic? Or should we not go into that? Oh, why not? It is incredibly sexist, it's fat phobic, it's homophobic, there's a little tinge of racism in there, and the fetishization of someone who's literally just come of age. So yeah, there's a lot in there that I'm just like, ew, icky. So you wouldn't recommend I watch it? Oh, you should watch it so you know what I'm talking about because, when I'm carrying on about it. Because there's a few Christmas movies that I do still need to watch. For instance, Love Actually. I still need You're to watch- it right. Love Actually. That's better. I still need to watch Love Actually. Um, I still need to watch White Christmas, Miracle on 34th Street, Die Hard. And there's another one. Oh, um, Scrooged, the Richard Donner one. Oh, actually, that was one of the movies I wanted to suggest. Oh, is it good? No, The Muppet oh. Christmas Carol. Oh, The Muppet Christmas, and that's another one I haven't seen. But yeah, what, what? Yeah, I haven't seen it. And then what about Christmas, other Christmas movies that we have seen that we could have picked? I was even thinking The Polar Express because even though it, I don't know, it's got such a mixed response. To be honest, the movie's actually not that good, but I have to say, it does make you feel something afterwards, which is quite impressive for a movie that's not that good. I don't know, it kind of sticks with you, and I love that song in it. Do you know the song I'm talking about? The Polar Express reminds me of The song, do you know the song I'm talking about? No, because do you know why? The song's called When Christmas Comes to Town. Okay, can you sing a bit, a few bars? Um... I think of him when Christmas comes to town. 
Who are they singing about? Santa. Oh, why? Oh, wait, no, 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 not when him, when Christmas comes. When that, wait, Santa oh, wait, no, 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 sorry. That's, uh, wait, I think no, of no, 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 that's, that's all I want when Christmas comes to town. Anyway, if we're going to sing, I do want to do a little mini competition. Okay. But before we get into the mini competition, let's fi finish on the, on the films that we could have picked. Yeah, I would have picked Polar Express, but I feel uh, like it's probably been a bit overdone, uh, and I didn't need your negativity in I this hate episode. I the Polar Express. How many times have you seen it? Once, and that was enough. When? How old were you? Oh god. I, I think I watched it on a bus, a Greyhound bus. You know, but have you seen it through an adult's lens? No, but isn't it meant to be magical for children? I don't know, it's quite it's quite eerie and I don't think it was meaning to be eerie, that's why it's actually quite funny. And that's part of the- so one of the reasons I don't like it is because it's all- Uncanny Valley. It will- Uncanny Valley, the dead, dead, corpse-like faces of the main characters, and the fact that the fi film is all climax without anything happening, the whole time they're always going, Whoa! about something and it's it's sort of a bit like a song by the who it's all like we're getting there we're getting there we're getting there but it doesn't go anywhere i see another actually my favorite christmas movie of all time which i was a bit surprised i didn't pick gremlins i love the gremlins oh, i love gremlins oh too. you do i want oh. one of those little furby looking monsters the gizmo. And, I, and i wouldn't feed it after midnight i'd take good care of it yeah i love that film i also do love a recent christmas rom-com not falling for christmas sorry Lindsay lohan even though that was a an effort. Uh, I love Happiest Season with Kristen Stewart. I haven't seen it. I oh, it, it makes me cry. And then oh, also, of course, It's a Wonderful Life. Beautiful, beautiful film. It's a wonderful, wonderful no, life. No, not the techno song, but I do love that song also. You haven't seen It's a Wonderful Life, have you? No. Wow. That's... Whew, I'm judging you. And then... There was For one that or other things. <laughs> well, and then, yeah, okay, I think let's... Let's maybe... Oh, wait. Before we go into it, let's do our little Christmas competition. Okay, okay. So, the competition is... Who can sing Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas the Best? Okay, you go first. Not the whole song, just do, like, a line, a verse. You... I don't want a lot for Christmas. I won't even ask for snow. Something, something, Quaid looks great tonight. Something, something, mistletoe. Da, 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 on my own. Okay, something, yeah, yeah, that's something, enough. Queen of Christmas. Okay. All I want is you. She's a terrifying woman. Actually, we could have even done Krampus. I still haven't seen that. That's with Tony Collette. Krampus? Oh, Tony. Does she play Krampus? <laughs> There's nothing she can't do. She's so talented. <laughs> she can play a tree like Scarlett Johansson. She can. Um, okay. All I want for Christmas is you. That was me trying to sing. That was my attempt. Oh, please. That was beautiful. No, it and wasn't. you're going to get scouted for it. I don't... I don't even fucking... All the words have, like, left my mind. Quaid, you prepared this challenge. Why didn't you just have the lyrics open? I know. I know, I mean, do you want me to get the lyrics on my computer? No, actually, what I'd like you to do, and this is more fun, and you're yeah. an actor, and you went yeah. to acting classes, so I'm sure you're good at this. Act like Mariah Carey. No, I want you to sing the song, yeah. but I want you to ad-lib the lyrics. Um, okay, so make the song about the Gremlins movie plot, but oh, sing it to all no, I, I don't have the brain capacity for this. No, I, I, no, no. <laughs> You can't say I no, you need to yes I don't, I don't have it in me. I don't, why don't you do it? Because you seem to be, you have the vision for it. Do not feed them after midnight. Oh no, they are getting wet. Now we have lots of gremlins. The one with lipstick is so sexy. Why don't you tell me, David, how do the gremlins look? Are they green or blue? Oh, all I want for Christmas is 
Gizmo. Oh, that was beautiful. Gizmo sounds like a sex toy. Gizmo? Yeah. Yeah, sort of like the rabbit, the pearl necklace. No, that's something else. Okay, let's just, you know what, we've done enough. I feel like our listeners will get sick of this. Let's go into our movies. Yes. Okay, so should we do your movie or my movie first? Hey. Okay, so we'll do your movie first. David, what are you, what are we talking about? What's the movie you picked? The movie that I picked that you definitely helped me with, but the first time I saw this movie was with you. That's correct. Tokyo Godfathers. Tokyo Godfathers is a 2003 Japanese animated tragedy comedy. That's a new term I learned. Same, same. Mm -hmm. Love it. It's also an adventure film. It's written and directed by Satoshi Kon. The film is the third film that Kon directed. Um, But unlike the previous ones, this is the first time he has live-action actors in it, as well as voice actors, even though they're all doing voice acting, but I didn't realize. Yeah, I I get get what you're saying, yeah. (laughs) One Christmas Eve, after watching a children's performance of the nativity scene, three houseless people, a middle-aged alcoholic man named Jin, a transgender woman named Hannah, and a teenager runaway girl named Miyuki discover an abandoned newborn while looking through garbage for presents. Deposited with the unnamed baby is a note asking the unknown finder to take care of her, along with a key and a bag containing clues to the parent's identity. The trio set out to find the baby's parents. The baby they decide to name Kiyoko by Hannah, based on the Japanese translation of Silent Night, which literally means pure child in the Japanese. And that's because they had been watching children earlier that evening singing Silent Night. So that's nice. The film follows the three through their misadventures. These excursions reveal serendipities which explore their individual pasts, showing how they became homeless, humanizing what could have easily been a caricature of people who have found themselves in a tough situation. The film ends abruptly, but with optimism tied into a dry realism of the three situation. So did you write that or did you get that off the internet? The first bit I got from Wikipedia and then I wrote the rest of it. Oh, okay. I wanted to make sure that I got the facts like when the movie was made, who the movie was made by, all of those things. So for our listeners that don't know, Satoshi Kon unfortunately passed away quite early on in his life and career. He also directed Perfect Blue, which we still haven't seen, which I've been meaning to watch. He also directed Millennium Actress and Paprika, which Christopher Nolan's Inception takes a lot of inspiration from. Which I don't think there's anything wrong with people taking inspiration from. No, not at all. Especially considering this movie, he openly admits, is inspired by Three Godfathers from 1948, which is an American movie. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, wow. It's it's such a beautiful and powerful movie, and I'm really happy that we are reviewing it, because I feel like a lot of people haven't heard of this. Yeah, I really enjoyed the film. If they're a film that visually, to start off with, if you were only to take a fleeting look at it, can seem quite monotone and bleak. It's actually very delicate and beautiful and detailed, and it keeps you the entire way. There's always Definitely. a little bit more information, another hook. It's a fascinating, like, interesting film. I would recommend it to anyone. 100%. And also, what I find really interesting is that this film, it never takes a breath. It's very, like, fast-paced, and it's very plot-driven, but it actually doesn't hinder the characterization in this film at all. If anything, you see how each one of these characters reacts and, like, rises to the challenges ahead, which reflects their journey. Quaid, it's interesting you should say that. While re-watching this film, it actually surprised me that it only goes for an hour and a half because... In, so much shit happens. In remembering this film, 
it seemed like it went for hours, if only for the fact that you do have that exploration into each character that really fleshes them out and humanizes them and grounds them. But it feels thorough. It doesn't feel like it's hurried or rushed. You really get an in-depth look into the person. And it, this is not a fairy story in the sense that it over-romanticizes these people, saying that there is going to be necessarily an amazing happy ending for them. It just sort of explains how one thing in life can sort of lead you down a path so that you find yourself in a situation where things aren't necessarily working out for you. Now, I do... I'm aware of myself twice I've said this film has levels of realism to it. I am very well aware that it has huge fantasy elements to it. Well, yeah, Especially because, in the ending. <laughs> well, yeah, the film, it's a big theme I take from this is it's about coincidence. Oh, I would prefer serendipity. Okay, well, we can go Oh, you know what? Maybe coincidence. Because coincidence, some pretty definitely. horrible things happen because of it, so I'm not sure. Well, there's say. a lot of coincidental <laughs> events that happen in the film. So, for Actually, instance... the whole thing is coincidence. Sorry, exactly. So, when they find the... The, the baby that they call Kyoko and there's the keys they open a locker from those keys at the was it the nearest train station and then in that locker is a bag and in that bag is a card that has that's the card of this nightclub and then they're off on their way because Hannah's decided that she wants to keep the baby whereas the other two Jin and Miyoku, they don't want to keep the child, they'd rather take the baby to the police, which, to be honest, responsible responsible thing to do because they're homeless, they don't really have the means to support this child, whereas Hannah just wants to love this child because she never got the love that well, she wanted. It opens with Hannah saying that she would like to have a baby one day. This is because it opens with a nativity scene, they're looking at Jesus, and at, when they're at the soup kitchen, Hannah is saying how she would like to be a mother, and she makes a joke about how she's eating for two to the woman who's giving her soup, and yeah. she, she loves the idea that she's in a very maternal space so that's why she says can we just keep the baby for a night and then we'll find who owns it in the morning and the next day they think she's running away with the baby but really she's come to her senses and she actually says I'm going to find who this baby belongs it, it, to. Exactly and in terms of coincidence the reason why I was on that subject was because eventually on their journey they bump into this man who is about to get run over by his car because he slipped over and the car's oh, about to the car's about to roll back on him and they they help him and then they find out in the car journey, because he offers to give them a lift, they find out that his future son-in-law is actually the owner of the nightclub that that card represents, that card states. Absolutely, which also is an individual who, who Jin borrowed a heap of money from in his and past. ended up gambling away, which also contributed to him ending up on the street. Now, Quaid, before we go any further, only because you're explaining certain plot points, mm. I might mention my interesting facts just because it ties into what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, of course. So the first thing you mentioned was them finding the locker key. Yeah. The number 1225, the date of Christmas, hence this being a Christmas film, appears throughout the film. The number on the key ring, the cab fare, 12,250 yen, a stopped alarm clock, the address in the newspaper ad, and the cab license plate. So that ties into it. Also, you mentioned the Yakuza boss. The name of the Yakuza boss that the protagonists save is Ota. The, na the same name that was written on the grave where Jin got the sake in the previous scene. And since Ota later states in conversation in the car that he went down to the old man's grave, this shows that the sake that Jin stole and drank was actually Ota's offering to his late father. Oh. Ah, see? Like you said, everything ties in together. But it does, though. Everything in this film does tie in together. The Yakuza boss's Ota's car's number, so his license plate number, is 8893. In Japan, 
893 is a number that represents the Yakuza in a cryptic way in modern times and is actually said to be the origin of the word Yakuza because adding 8, ya, 9, ku, and 3, za, gives us 0 for first place, which is the lowest score in a Japanese card game similar to Baccarat. Okay, so those are your interesting facts. Well, I've got one more. Okay. <laughs> oh no, I've got two more, but they're interesting and we'll cut them out if it drags on too long. The story Hana tells Miyuki about leaving the hospital is Naita Akanai, the red ogre who cried. A well-known children's book in Japan and a computer animated film. Oh, so that's a legit story that Hannah said because I thought that was a story that Hannah had created metaphorically so that Miyuki could understand why she dropped that bomb when Jin was with his biological daughter. I think that I think that it was brought up because it was relevant, but it was kind of uh, a very relevant. Like you would yeah. mention a fairy story to explain to someone necessarily why you behave a particular way. My last fact is Japanese comedian Yoshiaki Umigaiki, who played the voice voice of Hana is a Japanese original cast, also played the voice of Big Gay Al from South Park in 1997. On stage, he frequently sings the song Maivas Gasson, which is also sung in the movie, while blowing off the beans stuffed in the nostrils with nasal breath. This was his signature performance even before he appeared in this movie. So, tying things in from his personal mythology. Wow. When you were... Because, like we said, this film is... a a comedy tragedy but this film essentially it it finds the comedy in the tragedy because the events are so tragic it's it's funny well also because the characters are quite dry and comedic in the way they speak to each other and carry on because it doesn't pull any punches with being incredibly visceral and violent where it needs to be but at the same time I think because of the sensibility of the way that the characters speak to each other is also what makes it funny. Well exactly and also another theme is you choose your own family and these three homeless people have all chosen to be together so that they can I guess face the outside world uh, I mean I agree with that to an extent. David I, they've definitely they've chosen to be together. They don't have to stick they've together. They've chosen together but a large part of the story is also what led them away from their family who were only too happy to see them again. Jin meets, spoiler alert. Meets, no, no, this is good. Talk meet, about meets, each of meets the characters. His, meets his daughter, Kyoko, which is where he got the name from. Um, he meets, but he didn't name the baby Kyoko. Hannah did. Oh, true, true. Yeah. Uh, Jin meets his daughter by coincidence, again, yep. coincidence, or happenstance. Yep. Um, at the hospital, she's there working as a nurse. Yep. Um, again, and she's happy to see him. He left his family after he got himself into gambling debt and did could, lost the bike With store. With the Yakuza's future son-in-law. Exactly. See, everything's but, tied in together. But again, you talk about choosing your family. Uh, there was a point where he rejected his family and the family member he meets in this film embraces him again. Hana goes back... I don't think he rejected his family per se. I think he thought... He rejected himself. He thought he was not good enough for the family and he felt like a failure and he felt that they were better off without him. I don't think he was actually being like, I don't want to see you guys again. It was Well, I don't mean his it own in the shit. motive sense, but he ejected himself then from that situation. And then that's why Hannah gets angry at him at the hospital because Jin had lied to Hannah and Miyoku saying that his wife and daughter had passed away. Yeah. Also, yeah, exactly. Um, and all of the reason Hannah said to as why this was problematic is, oh, you decided to use this story, you killed off your daughter and your wife to gain sympathy. It is true. It doesn't pull any punches. It doesn't try and make, oh, poor bugger me. It literally says, it's like, you know what? You did dirty on us by lying to us. You exactly. The and that's when Hannah then tells Miyuku the story of the, what's the story called? The Red Ogre. The Red Ogre, yeah. Also, Hannah, in her own way, talks about her yeah, family. Yeah, talk about her past, go. So yeah. she used to work at a nightclub that had 
had, I suppose, drag queens, drag queens yeah. and transgender people and strippers and all sorts of alternative lifestyle people working there. And she used to work there as a singer. Yeah. And one night she was being harassed. Yeah, harassed by a, a patron. So she lashed out and beats the shit out of him. Beats the shit out of him. Which but, I love. But then after that, she's so ashamed and feels like she's let down everyone there because she literally calls like the owner of the place mother, the house mother. Yeah. And when she shows up there again because they need shelter for the baby, she's so upset saying, please, mother, I'm so sorry. You probably never want to see me again. She's like, of course I want to see you. What are you doing? That now? scene was so funny because the mother can see that Hannah's about to cry and the mother's freaking out being like, oh, oh what are you doing? I hate it when you cry because you look so scary when you cry. And that's like a common, uh, like funny, uh, not funny thing, but it's a common, it's a common trope. Yeah, it's a common trope, a, co a common situation where whenever Hannah's about to cry, all the other characters are always like, fuck, you're so ugly when you cry. And it's so funny. So we have another situation where because of the perception Hannah had of how she was going to be received for her actions, much like Jin, she left her family who were only too relieved to see oh, her back. And that's the same as Miyuku. Miyuki is a little Miyuki, bit different sorry. because... She stabbed her father. And herself. Because she, she didn't stab herself. She did. She stabbed herself in the stomach after stabbing... She, she sort of Harakiri style stabs herself in the stomach. Are you sure she stabs herself? Yes. She stabs her father and then she stabs herself in the stomach. So in the past, she stabbed her father because she had assumed that her father had done something to her cat. Which he hadn't. Which he hadn't. The cat just went missing. The cat's name is Angel, which was cute. Yeah. David's looking at me with, like, fiery eyes because he hates cats. And See, this is, is such the thing. a thing I knew you would cats. say this. This is the thing. I don't hate cats. You do, David. No, I You don't. always give me these weird facts about them, about how they're poisonous. <laughs> Toxoplasmosis, like... oh. which it has you. I don't hate cats. I'm happy that cats exist. I like animals. I want them to live happy, healthy lives. Well, yes. And then she runs away from home. So I'm really happy that we covered the three characters and went a bit <laughs> in depth but, but, with it. But my point there was, as you mentioned, this is a film about it's the family that you choose. But yeah, I it's about it's about family. It's about homelessness. It's about uh, social class. It's about yeah, like you just said, coincidence. And also, it's interesting seeing how all the other civilians react around the three because. There's the smell. They because all of perception. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, the smell. Like they can't stand the smell of them because they're homeless. But, and no, but yeah, perception based on smell, based on appearance, based on all of these things. Where it's you know, even the bit where the teenagers are beating up the two homeless that was so men. Sad. It was horrible. But it's this thing that does happen where because they are considered less than human, the less dead. It is almost just a bit of a sport, a pastime for them because they feel like there's no consequences and there is no consequence for them when they do it. No, exactly. And I have to say, I absolutely adore and love this type of Japanese animation. Like the setting is so dark and realistic. And it also, I don't know if you agree with me, but it's almost like it has a grain like quality about it. It's I quite grainy. And I... What I don't really like particularly about new Japanese animation that comes out, either it being TV or film, I find the animation now a bit too clean and crisp to the fact that... Oh, I know. A bit too clean and sharp to the point where it actually feels quite inorganic and fake. I actually don't like it. So, I, I guess this is a very... Um, I'm in the minority here when I say this. I didn't love the animation of Your Name. Everyone adores that animation, but I find it just too... A bit too sterile for A you. bit too sterile, a bit too clean, a bit too perfect. I don't like it. Whereas movies like Akira, Tokyo Godfathers, 
the older Ghibli films. Actually, even the newer Ghibli films are fine because they're quite round with their handwork, with their artwork. It, it looks like someone drew it, whereas your name looks like it was done on a computer. Yeah. Yeah. Too tidy. It's, kills it's the too soul. tidy. Too yeah. Neat. Needs a bit of needs a bit of grit. Yeah. Exactly. And oh, there's a, there's there is a scene that we do need to talk about. Sure. When Hannah is yelling at Jin in the hospital. Yeah. Those animators need to be applauded because her facial expressions when she was yelling at him, the way that they changed so quickly, and how big they were, like oh my god, how the animators just drew her facial expressions throughout that scene was so engaging and it was so fun. It was almost as if she was yelling into a fisheye lens and as yes, she got closer, yes, it distorted yes, her face. It's, yeah. Yes, In that was the best way of describing it, David. Incredibly sophisticated. There are so many moments that they're beautiful in how mundane and everyday they are, but animated in such a gorgeous way. The moments where there are, there are twice where car headlights shine on the characters and they've been running for some reason and you see the sweat drops on their face and just the way it illuminates with that vibrancy as if a shot light's just been suddenly shone on your face. Such a yeah. simple action but it's captured so beautifully is something that this sort of animation can do that I feel like is not captured in other mediums. Yeah, definitely. It's such a special movie and I'm quite ashamed that it took me such a long time to watch this because we only saw it for the first time. Was it two years ago or was it a year ago? It was two years ago. Two years ago and I've always been meaning to see it because I always saw the cover everywhere in video shops, on the internet, Thankfully, thankfully, it's quite a popular movie, which is nice because it is a, it's a good film. So it's nice to know that it's accessible. I, I recommend to all of our listeners, if you have an hour and a half, which everyone does, watch this film. It's really beautiful. It's really touching. If you need a nice movie for Christmas to cuddle up with someone and have on and maybe have a glass of wine, this is also the perfect film for that because it's very sweet. It's very touching. It'll move you. It's not too emotionally taxing, though. It's one of my favorite Christmas films. I know that the theme of this film isn't Christmas, and I know that the background is the Christmas setting, much like Die Hard and Batman Returns. But isn't that life? And Gremlins in a way, but, like, Gremlins actually feels like a Christmas movie, even though... But isn't that life? Like, who really gets to stop over Christmas and make the whole thing about quote-unquote Christmas? And also, exactly. like you said, all the themes you mentioned before about family, yada, yada, yada. Homelessness. <laughs> well, you know... Actually, a, yeah, true. A Christmas Carol is... Which is kind of a, a ghost story really but that, that references you know class divides and and things like that so i think that yeah i think that this is incredibly relevant and a very good pick and that's not me patting myself on my back because again this we both was, picked it, we yeah. Both picked it yeah. yeah no it's a yeah i'm so happy i own a copy of this because i adore I, I adore it and i really want to see perfect blue and millennium actress i know you mentioned the hospital scene but do you have a favorite scene god i mean oh, just all the scenes are so beautiful even when they're sitting in the cafe and well not the cafe it would be like their version of 7-eleven and yeah. the owner went up to them and said hey guys you've been being in these seats long enough can you please leave so other patrons can sit here and then Hannah and Jin say hey there's like no customers here and then all of a sudden they leave and then an ambulance crashes into yeah. the 7-eleven and how all the glass shatters and the bricks again, fall down Again, coincidence, such a coincidence that they got out of there just before that crash happened. No, beautiful. I agree with you that that film, that, sorry, that scene really stuck out for me. Oh, and even the last scene when Hannah is jumping and, and grabs hold of Kyoko after, I mean, we should probably talk about that plot element. They eventually think that they have found Kyoko's real mother, but then they find out as the mother is running away with the baby that, oh shit, that's not the mother. I'm not going to go into detail no, about should, how they find out because we should leave that to the listeners to watch and see themselves. But 
Actually, and that's what I want to talk about. What I really do love about this film is, fuck, these characters, they have an objective. The, objectives, the objective is very clear, and they chase that objective. So that last scene, their objective was to save this child, and they do everything in their power to make that happen. That car chase scene was so epic. Well, actually, no, not car chase, truck chase scene. And then, oh, yeah. The bicycle. Yeah, what? and the bicycle. It, it, oh, it's actually such a good movie. It has everything. It has action. It has not sex, but it has. It alludes to. But not necessarily, and no, I don't not think alludes, it alludes. Not that it needs to. I mean, can intimacy, I, I should say. There's before intimacy. you move on too much, can I just say something quickly? Yeah. One of my favourite peripheral characters was the taxi driver. He was. Oh, he great. was yeah. so funny. <laughs> anyway, he was so funny because this taxi driver just gets dragged into all this shit that he has absolutely nothing, nothing to do with. It's, <laughs> it's just such a yeah. It's just the comedy, the action. It, it really, it has everything. It and really it, does. And even has the runtime. Like the runtime is an hour and a half, and it's it's just. It's a perfect film, in my opinion. It's really fucking good. I would have to agree with you. It goes to show that things don't need to be a four-hour epic for it to have everything that you need in a movie and for it to still emotionally move you. Oh, the, it's so emotionally moving. The bit at the end... Yeah, when she jumps and saves the baby and then okay. it's all slow-mo and exactly. then the sun shines on her and then that's when kind of a magic realism well, comes into it. Can I say something? The first time I watched this film, that part... Even though I understood it, yeah. it didn't lose me, but it was the first part of the film where I went, oh, okay. Mm. Rewatching it, I was so touched. It was so beautiful. Yeah, like it is the slow mo and the sun coming and, up yeah. and shining through the buildings. And the morning dew and was, the, that big gust really of wind. Sweet. It really worked for me. Maybe I needed to be by myself and feeling my feelings, but it was really beautiful. Yeah, oh, beautiful film. What are we giving it out of five stars? Oh, fuck. I want to give it a four and a half. It's really good. Yeah, I. Before I would have said four, but the what we're saying, everything we're saying, it is really fucking good. Like, actually, you know what? I would go give it an 8.5 out of 10, so okay. I'd give it a 4.25. Well, here's yeah. the thing. I want to, I'm going to be honest with you. Before rewatching this film, I sort of had a little meeting with myself where you have to amp yourself up because I love this movie the first time I watched mm -hmm. it, but I went, oh, do you really want to watch this movie again? And then sitting down and watching it again, I was like, no, I'm, I'm glad I'm watching this. I'm, I was a bit good. the same too, actually. Yeah. yeah. Oh, please, listeners, watch Tokyo Godfather. Fathers, because I promise you, it will become one of your favorite Christmas it's movies. It's very sweet, and also it's short, so don't feel like, oh my god, I gotta amp myself up for it. Just go do it. Yeah, do it. I have an apology to make as well before we go any further. We have a corrections corner. There's something that I said last week that was misinformation and I apologize. We will make mistakes and it's never my intention to say something that is untruthful or false news. Quaid, I have to apologize. Not to you, but to your boyfriend. Last week I said that he cried during one of the movies. Ever he cried a lot. Oh, in, in the name of the father. In the name of the father. That was incorrect. When we were on the phone, I misunderstood him. He said, you cried a lot during the movie. And I just want to apologize for the false impression that I gave that he cried a lot during the movie. He was unmoved and it was you. He was, <laughs> he was cold and he was dead in the <laughs> eyes and he doesn't have a heart. Wade, he was crying. He's a little bitch. Like I didn't say he was a little bitch, but on the telephone, I think because we were trying to be coded because you were in front of me and we hadn't talked about the movie yet, he was just saying, David, that movie, so much crying, a lot of crying from beginning to end crying. And I thought, oh my goodness, he was crying through the whole movie. <laughs> no, he was talking about you. So I'm sorry, I'm sorry for that misconception. Well, my boy, I feel attacked, y'all. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Sorry, that was my really bad South African accent, which I'm allowed to do because my family is South African. So, yeah, I can get away with that. Anyway, so the movie that I decided that we both agreed on to do is Elf. 
which came out in 2003 and was directed by Jon Favreau, who, this is really interesting, Jon Favreau, he only had directed one film before Elf, and then Elf was what kind of brought him into the big public eye. Oh. He's also an actor, and then he went on, funnily enough, to do the Iron Man movies, and then he fucking directed the, the, Lion, King, the Lion King remake, blah, blah, which blah. is like a terrible film, but obviously made a lot of money. So now he's- How dare you, do you hate Beyonce? <laughs> yeah, let's not even go there. So he's actually known as one of the highest grossing like film directors because he's directed films like The Lion King, which made over a billion dollars. So anyway, I'm gonna go into the, the plot from Elf, which I, I'm not going to lie, I got it from IMDb because, not IMDb, no, I did get it from IMDb because it is so short, concise, and perfect. I was going to say, is this point. movie too complicated for you to write your own? Oh, shut up. <laughs> okay, so, raised as an oversized elf, Buddy, played by Will Ferrell, travels from the North Pole to New York City to meet his biological father, Walter Hobbs, which is, who is played by James Kahn, may he rest in peace, who doesn't know he exists and is in desperate need of some Christmas spirit. So, Walter Hobbs, he's on the naughty list, which upsets Buddy very dearly. It's very cute because at the beginning of the film, Buddy doesn't actually know that he's a human, and he's always confused why he's taller and bigger than all the other elves, and then he finds out eventually because his adoptive father, Papa Elf, tells him, hey Buddy, it's time to tell you you're actually a human and your real father and your real mother they like separated she had the baby her name was susan wells and your father walter didn't know that susan had this baby and then unfortunately she gave you up for adoption because she couldn't look after you and then she passed away afterwards and then buddy when he's a baby in the orphanage when santa's coming to like you know put the presents under the christmas tree and eat the cookies and drink the milk buddy then crawls into his red sack and then that sack is taken to the North Pole and then Buddy is there and he's met by all the elves and then of course Puppet Elf who's played by Bob Newhart decides to look after him and it is it's it's really really sweet I can I can see David's oh you're gonna get so much revenge on me for Hocus Pocus like I can see this happening I also want to do a shout out to Mary Steenburgen who plays Emily Hobbs who is Buddy's father's new wife. I absolutely love her. I love her voice. I love her look. I just love her. She's also in Happiest Season. And she also plays, funnily enough, Buddies. Um, not Buddies. She also plays Will Ferrell's stepmother in another film, Step Brothers, which I haven't really seen, but hey, it's a, it's a massive, it has a massive cult following. Anyway, I'm gonna go into like fun facts about this film. So that scene in the Lincoln Tunnel, several minor traffic accidents actually occurred when Will Ferrell walked through the Lincoln Tunnel in his costume because people were so surprised and distracted from their driving to see him wear an elf outfit. I have to say that's really irresponsible of the crew of this film because I feel like they should have like sealed off that tunnel. But anyway, Will Ferrell turned down 29 million to be in a sequel in late 2014. And, I wonder why. And, oh, stop it. And he said on Andy Cohen on Watch What Happens Live Back in 2013, absolutely not. I just think it would look slightly pathetic if I tried to squeeze back in the elf tights. Buddy the middle-aged elf. He reiterated his position in 2017 in an interview with IGN. Um, there's a scene where Buddy, he's eating different candies and pastries with the spaghetti noodles, and that had to be shot twice because Will Ferrell actually vomited the first time. 
And then the, this, oh, this fact I really do like. The design for Santa's workshop, as well as all the elf uniforms, come from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the TV special from 1964. The elf uniforms completely mirror the ones from the television special, and most of the animals in the North Pole are designed to look like the same form of stop-motion animation used in Rudolph. So, yeah, I... I absolutely adore this film because... Really? Because, yeah, I do. Because, you know what? Comedy isn't even my favourite genre, and I'm not a big fan of Will Ferrell. That must be why you like this movie. Well, I'm just... You know, I'm really boring because I don't like comedy films. But also, um, I'm not a big fan of Will Ferrell. I don't really watch Anchorman or Step Brothers or shit like that. But I have to say, I have such vivid memories of watching this film with my mum and just seeing my mum laugh so much and that just like makes me feel so warm inside knowing that this movie brought my mum so much joy and every year for Christmas we would always watch it as a family and I have to say it is a very very good film it's very moving it's very much has like a little bit of the hero's journey you have like Buddy who you know finds out at the beginning hey I'm not an elf I'm a human I now need to go and find my biological father in New York City and then his father obviously is coming to terms with the fact that he has this son that he never knew about that thinks he's an elf. And then in the end, you find he does find out, actually, no, Buddy wasn't lying. He's not delusional. He is an elf. And it's just, it's very much a fish out of water comedy because you have this full grown man who's an elf and he's just in New York City. And I don't know, it's just, it's very funny. If you're gonna tell me that you did not laugh once, then you are full of shit. That escalator scene, I love that scene because my mom, that's the scene that my mom will laugh the hardest in. When he like practically doesn't know what to do, when he gets to the escalator and he does the splits. Oh, it's really funny. Okay, I know that David has a lot to say. He's all revved up. He's ready to destroy me and he's ready to get his revenge for Hocus Pocus. So why don't, you know what? Why don't we start with your negatives so that we can end this episode on a light note? Why do you hate this film? Because you look like you fucking hate it. Go ahead. Right. You're just assuming so much and it, it makes me wonder why you're already on the back foot. Quaid, I feel like you picked this movie to get a rise out of me. Yeah, well, and did I? Merry Christmas, you got your wish. <laughs> oh my god, but it's not even a bad movie! Quaid, this movie was fine. I was just a little surprised because I thought it was going to be funny. You didn't laugh once. This movie was comfortable. It was like having a beer. Just one beer, because it's not that exciting. And then a Big Mac. It's crap, but you know what to expect. Christmas oh. is fun. There's no place like New York. Will Ferrell is goofy. Zoe Deschanel is quirky and consent. Come on, it was cool that Zoe Deschanel was in this, because you wouldn't expect her to be in a movie like this. You wouldn't expect her to be the female quirky girl love interest who's cynical but can sing. Also, by the way, yeah, but she, in a, in she a works as like a Christmas elf. elf and she can live in a, an apartment by herself in New York. I wish I had that. They had job. turned off the water because she wasn't paying her bills, so she had to <laughs> use the shower in the shops. I can see why. The story was dull and predictable. None of the characters were fleshed out enough to be invested in their journey. And it wasn't laugh out loud comedy, so I'm not really sure what the point was. Oh, here we go. You you had this already. You're so happy that you hate this film. It looked expensive and out of the box like a long Saturday Night Live sketch. I wanted to like the quirky animations, but I was just a little bit confused by the Confederate snowman and I didn't really understand where it fit in. So thank you for explaining that it was a reference to a animated series. Yeah, and look, to be honest, my, my actually, my one main issue with the film is I don't like how when they're referencing the trolls in the film, you see like a CGI troll, but then you have these claymation 
animals, I was like, just use claymation for the whole thing. That's because, a good criticism because, I hadn't even thought of, it, but because, it's another criticism. Oh, whatever, David. <laughs> anyway, yes, continue on your All rant. The, no, okay, here's a positive. The cast was amazing. They worked miracles with what they were given. But I thought the characters weren't fleshed out. Exactly. They worked miracles with absolutely nothing. I thought the characters were actually very fleshed out. No, this movie's good. It's a perfect mindless day drunk Christmas film. Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that because even like critically, this movie is it's regarded as one of the better Christmas films. Oh, is it? So, yeah. So lots of people liked it. Yes. Like lots of people voted for the Nazis. People can't be trusted, quite. Uh, not the pe- like actual film critics that study this shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I don't hate that this film exists, it's just not for me. This movie was too boring for me to hate it. Two stars. Okay, you know what? You just want to hate on this because I hated on your precious little hocus pocus. I'm gonna go and talk about some positive things about this film and to all our listeners who do love Elf, please like share, share your love for this film in the comments. So, I will start with saying that I really enjoyed the soundtrack. The soundtrack was um, composed by John Debney. He actually also did the soundtrack for The Passion of the Christ. So, this is a really big contrast for him. Not really. Both of them are relevant to Jesus. Christmas, Jesus getting nailed I mean, to wood. Elf does not reference Jesus at all. Christmas. I know, but it's 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 capitalist Christmas. This, is, this isn't well, biblical unlike Christmas. unlike the Catholic Church. <laughs> Oh my god, let's not let's not even go there because we don't want to offend our Catholic listeners. Anyway, so there's that the music I found really emotionally stimulating. I love that part where Buddy is at the back of Santa's sleigh and the sleigh is lifting up and it flies into the night sky and he's looking over and then he sees Zoe Deschanel's character who is Jovi and they just like look at each other and then she just gives him this really like understated, subtle smile and I didn't cry, but it made me choke up. I don't know why, but it did. I, I just thought that scene was really, really beautiful. And yeah, there's a line in this that I really, really, really like. So before Buddy goes to New York, he finds out that Santa's been to New York before and he gets really, really excited. And then Santa is giving him some advice and he's saying, hey, this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. And one of the stuff he says to Buddy is, and if you see a sign that says peep show, that doesn't mean that they're letting you look at presents before Christmas. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I laughed once during this whole film. It was the scene where he gets excited because he thinks the mall Santa is actually Santa and gets overexcited. That made me laugh out loud. However, it got very tired very okay, so you, Okay, so you're telling me that when Buddy goes up to the fake Santa and says to him, you're sitting in a throne of lies, you didn't laugh. No, because oh, by, then it, by then it already felt like he was flogging a dead horse. Each of these jokes goes for two. So long. you're saying when... The, the fake Santa starts to try to beat up Buddy and they completely destroy all the decorations that Buddy worked so hard to make the previous night. You didn't laugh in that scene no. where things are breaking and they're pushing each other. No. And you didn't think that Wonder was hilarious, the store manager. Like all of his facial expressions and how he was reacting to Buddy whenever Buddy got so excited for Christmas and Santa coming. No. Oh my God, you... You're just giving me nothing, are you? Yeah, no. I was excited to see Peter Dinklage, who pay, played a gentleman named Miles Finch. Um, Actually, unfortunately, that scene was so fucking on the nose. I hope they paid him well for that weird slapstick repetition of a predictable pantomime routine. Well, you know what's really funny, actually? I'm really happy you brought that up, because what I do find interesting is that that scene 
it is kind of, well not kind of, it is, it's, it's, it's teasing. It's profoundly fucking problematic. It plays off the whole idea that little, that, you know, that people with dwarfism or people who yeah. are shorter are uh, Christmas elves, but it really doesn't do, comment on it. It just leans on it. As okay, yes, no, 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 exactly. But now what I'm going to say is I'm really surprised that Peter Dinklage so, like agreed to do that when now recently he got so upset that they were making S Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. He's like, how dare they do that? I That's thought because we had he's probably past jack that. of shit like this. That's probably why he's just going, you know what? Enough is enough. Anyway, that scene also was really funny because I love seeing Peter Dinklage just like beat the shit out of Will Ferrell. That was really funny. <laughs> oh wow, you're like you are. Su we should have done this first in the episode because you're just like sucking the energy and the happiness and the Christmas spirit out of this episode. Anyway, I, I love one of my favorite quotes in this film, and it kind of brings me back to why I find Polar the Polar Express very effective. Oh, why are you hurting oh, me? Shut up. He says, Santa says to um, Buddy's little brother, who is played by Daniel Tay, and the character's, name, his, the character's name is Michael Hobbs, and he says, Santa says to him, Christmas spirit is about believing, not seeing. If the whole world saw me, all would be lost. And that is really beautiful because I think that is what makes Christmas special. I'm not saying that you need to believe in Santa, but I don't know, having a bit of faith, faith and belief in magic, in family, in hope, in, I guess, what we conceive the, pris the Christmas spirit to be. That's what, like, Christmas is all about. It's... I don't know, I found that line a little bit evangelical because that tends oh. to be what people say when they're like, no, you just have to believe in Jesus because if you don't believe in Jesus, then that's not what faith is. Also, I found it ironic because the only reason that the little sort of Christmas-o-meter started jumping up was because they saw Santa and got excited and believed in him. No, they didn't actually see Santa, the whole crowd. They were first no, singing. No, no. Not them. Did the brother's name? Little brother. Yeah. Of Buddy. It's Michael Hobbs. It was when Michael Hobbs and his dad saw Santa. That's when the little thing started getting excited because they saw no, Santa. No, it was when he got the skateboard out of the sack and he got excited over the skateboard. Anyway, the point is that that increased their Christmas joy because of an interaction with the real life Santa. And then he suggests, well, how about we amp this up by getting other people to have interactions with you? And he goes, no, that wouldn't work. Straight after it just worked. Anyway, I really respect that Will Ferrell did, like, he disagreed to make a sequel because it would have been so easy to make a quick and easy um, film that would have made a fuckload of money and they wouldn't have had to really put much thought, in it, it, thought into it. It would have just kind of destroyed the legacy of the first film and I really love that he denied that and was like, no, 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 we've made a really good film. We don't need to taint this. Is that what he was saying or was he just saying I'm not cheapening myself like that movie. No, he's very proud of Elf. Really? Yeah. See, this it's is his the, best film. This is the thing. It's his best film. What's he done that's better than Elf? I have seen... If you say Anchorman, then you're just like a, a I bro. have seen so many people talk about this film and say that they love it. I really expected this to be a laugh-out-loud funny film. It is. How did you not laugh? The whole film is situational comedy. It is so funny, the shit that happens. The movie kind of felt like an ad for, you know, people that are super pro-New York. Like, oh my god, it's just so magical. That whole scene that's dedicated to him looking at the wonder of 
being there just felt a bit like an advertisement for it. And like I said before, it felt like a really bad Saturday Night Live sketch. Well, I loved it because I love New York and anything promoting New York makes my soul sing. So I loved him going into New York like a deer in headlights, bewildered and, and entranced and amazed by the big city because that's what New York does to people. Oh my God, is he like you? Is that what you're doing? Was that what you were like when you were there? I would like to be in the Elf reboot, everyone. That is my goal as an actor. That Do you is... think that as a human who's actually a human in the Elf community, he was an individual who was ostracized? Do you think that he's a metaphor for the LGBTQI oh, community? You're such a bitch, David. You are such a bitch. Um, no, and I loved it because apparently there was going to be a few scenes in the film where the elves were ostracizing him and being mean, but then the director decided, no, actually, let's make this more good-spirited kind, which I, I thought it was nice. The elves were trying to be as supportive as they could, even though Buddy was really um, slowing down the process of getting all the the gifts ready for the children. I did find it really funny, that scene at the beginning where Santa says to all the elves, guys, you've worked so hard and you've had a really successful year. Now let's work again for the next year. And all the elves are like overexcited because it made me think of like in a real work sense, if your boss came in and said, hey guys, I know you've worked really hard this year. You've done so much work. Great job. Okay, let's do it all again now. And then all the workers are like, fuck yeah. Like it, it was just like, it was funny. I, I find the movie really, really funny. It's like a pro propaganda ad for capitalism. I imagine people who work in the Target sweatshops watching this going, I feel the same. We are not allowed to take Christmas off. Yeah, well, the only scene that I do find, I guess, not too funny, but it is still funny, is when um, Buddy's father sends him down to the mail room and he gets really drunk with the... Um, what do you call someone that's just come out of prison? He's on work release from Yeah, prison. yeah, work release. And then they both just get drunk together because Buddy thinks that he's got the flask, which is actually, you know, there's alcohol in it, but Buddy thinks it's maple syrup. And then he drinks too much and they get... Yeah, it, that was funny, and he's like break dancing on the table, and yeah, no, I love it. I the, the the movie makes my heart very warm, and I love the last, the very very final scene where like Buddy goes to visit his papa elf, like back in the North Pole, and he sits on his dad with like holding the baby, and Zoe Deschanel's there, no cute little Jovi, sorry, Jovi's sitting there in a cute elf outfit. I don't know, it just made me feel warm and happy inside, and it made me feel like yay, it is Christmas, we're in December. It's not. It's a beautiful film. It's very heartwarming and yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a feel good film. Is it like an Oscar worthy movie? No, it's like, it's a fun slapstick comedy film. I also really love the receptionist in, in the film. Do you know who I'm talking about? She's got like the short blonde curly hair. Oh fuck, that was what I was going to say. That was the other point that I laughed as well. And it was a line that I feel like she must have ad-libbed because it was the funniest thing in the whole thing where she's on the phone and you're over here going, no, I've never declawed cats before, but bring them around to the trailer. No, I won't charge you for it. Like <laughs> it was the funniest thing in the whole movie. No, she's I just, very funny. Yeah, she was very funny. We should actually get her name up. Amy Sedaris. Oh, Amy Sedaris, sorry. She's hilarious. And I love how like Buddy first comes in and she's like, oh, like, who are you? And he's like, I'm Buddy the Elf. I'm like, um, Papa Elf sent me. And she was like, Papa Elf? Yeah, like, she's so good. It was, yeah. See, now it sounds like you're getting some positives out of it. Yes, that one character. Look, I feel like what, I mean, and not to completely poo-poo this film, I feel like the role that this film I exists to play is exactly what it played for you, which is it is a non-offensive film. You can sit down in front of the television with the whole family and smile at some pretty harmless jokes together and then remember that you were sitting with your family in front of the television not screaming at each other for an hour and a half. Oh so that's God. kind of beautiful. You're just sucking the joy out of this Christmas festive episode. <laughs>
Oh, David, <laughs> you make me sick. You are. We should have done the Grinch, okay? Because that's what you are right now. The Grinch of Christmas. I feel like this entire season, you've been trying to bring in a film to get a negative reaction out of me, and I feel like I've been able to put a pretty positive spin on most. You of have them. been, but this but is this the one, one that you can't. I, and I tried. I thought, God, I'm going to get him on this one because I could see the glee in your eyes when you said, Elf, you're like, this is the one he's going to hate. And I'm like, no, I bet I'm going to love it. No, sorry. Wow. <laughs> I, I So... You told me that you have a lot of people in your life that have said to you, I really like Elf. Yeah. So what do you mean by that? As in, how did it even come up in conversation? I think it was just people said, it's a funny movie. That's it. Got they you. didn't elaborate. No one quotes it. I don't think there's any quotable moments in this movie. What do you mean? The best way to spread Christmas cheer is by singing? Well, I, don't, I, forgot, I forgot what the fucking song, I mean, what the quote was. But um, yeah, wow. So you're actually giving it two stars out of five. And that's generous. Two stars. Jesus, that's a bit That's a bit two, harsh. Two stars, most of that is for the acting. They managed to carry it off through their performances because I, but, there's, but it's I, dead I don't on know. I'm, I'm very, I don't know how you can say it's dead because even the dynamic between um, Buddy and his biological father, Walter Hobbs, that's played by James Caan, that oh. dynamic is so funny because you have James Caan who's actually playing it very realistic, very understated. He's very much playing with the given circumstances. And then you have Will Ferrell as Buddy who's like heightening... Every, everything in his acting. And so that dynamic, it's actually very funny to look at we'll because go. even Bunny's, Bunny's saying to him, oh, and then we're going to go ice skating and then we're going to hold hands. And then the father's like, oh, like, fuck. Like, this guy's an absolute weirdo. Like, I just, that dynamic is hilarious. And part of me also was like, cringing for the father because I'm like oh my god you must be feeling really awkward but right here's, now here's the thing it didn't commit to any lane it wasn't enough of anything oh you, what yeah he was meant to be on the naughty list I expected him to be a bit more of a grumpy curmudgeon he, he was an incredibly David, he, was an he incredibly, wasn't there for his son he, he wasn't there for his family what are you talking about of course he's on the naughty list well, he's, he, a, the he's, a, he's a father that isn't he, but he there. kind of he kind of wasn't anything like he was at home in time for dinner with his family so he would he never completely, eat Absent. That's true, he wasn't there. But also, just was sort of a non-character who was passively tolerant to this madman that shows out of nowhere dressed up as an elf going, I'm your son. <laughs> if that happened to me, I would have called the police. He was just kind of polite I mean, he to called, him. He called security. After speaking to him and humouring him, and then he still spoke to him again after that, looking at him through the window. I love how he He was sings. a very accessible character. I love how he sings, how Buddy sings to him. He's like, okay, like... I love that scene where Buddy is... He goes into Walter's office and Walter thinks that Buddy was sent by Christmas Graham and then Walter says to him, oh, like, what are you going to do? Are you going to, like, sing for me or something? And then Buddy's like, um, okay, like, this is weird because I'm here with my dad and he wants me to sing and I'm here now and I can't stop singing. Like, it's just... But, I, he, but it's here's funny. the thing, Quaid. It's you funny. doing that just then and explaining the scene to me was funnier than watching it. Oh, David, whatever. I would give this movie... 3.5 out of 5 because it's it's adorable beautiful and I it was cool because I went on Zoe Deschanel's Instagram and two days ago she actually posted um, a photo of her as the character of Jovi and she like quoted she like, looks cute as a blonde wow and she there was quoted, nothing else to comment about the character she's a good singer and she quoted like one of the lines the relationship is completely unbelievable no, I believed it. She was living this life where she was bored and everything was boring. And then you get this guy that comes in and he's like, I'm a bit crazy. I'm an elf. And she's like, oh, that's exciting. Crazy? And I reckon their sex would be really kinky. It'd be like elf kink. 
would it be kinky? Would it be him going, oh, I need to stick my candy cane in your hoosie? Like, just sort of cringe and weird. <laughs> no, I like this film. It's beautiful. And, yeah, if my mum is listening to this episode, which she probably isn't because she hasn't listened to our podcast That's good, yet. because I, I love your mum and I don't want to hurt her. And you really laid on the emotional blackmail. I was so ready to hang this film out to dry and then you mentioned how much it meant to your mum. It like, does. I don't it means, it means a lot Vangie. to my mum. So, I'm sorry, Vangie, if you're ever listening to this. I love you and I respect you, and Quaid set me up to fail here. <laughs> anyway, um, we should go to our next segment. So, this is actually our final episode for our first season of Cinephile Parody. So, we are coming back. Yeah, don't worry, this isn't we're the coming end. back. This is not the end. We want to thank all our listeners who have listened since episode one. This has been such a cool, fun, and exciting journey. Is thank it- you to everyone who's reached out, especially the people that we wouldn't have necessarily assumed would be listening. It means the world yeah. to us that you're there, that you care, that you have opinions based on the films. Thank you for bearing with us and all our sound and technical issues. When we come back, I'm going to have ironed those out. Yeah, hopefully we want to, like... We're going to amp up the budget. We're going to do something. We don't want to torture your eardrums too much. We're going to be gone until next year, but keep an eye out because I'm going to scatter a few little Christmas presents, maybe some little bloopers, maybe some best of, and maybe some secret little mini episodes between now and then. So subscribe if you haven't already to this podcast so you get notified when it pops up. And if not, keep an eye out on our Instagram and on our Spotify or whatever you listen to podcasts on to see if we give you some company over the holiday period. Yeah, and also watch out for the Instagram because I'll be posting a few things after we're done with the season. I'll be promoting hard copies and how we should still be supporting the hard copy business of film. Absolutely, but I also, it's important to consume movies any way that you can. Get them into you, whether it's hard copy, <laughs> Get whether, them it's, into you. whether it's in the cinema, whether it's online, or whatever cinema. you can do. Go and watch some films. Obviously, have a wonderful break. Happy New Year. Yeah, have an amazing Christmas. Have an amazing Christmas or whatever you celebrate or whatever you don't celebrate. If you're feeling a bit down, it's easy to get a bit lonely sometimes over Christmas. Yeah. Reach out to someone. You're loved. It'll pass. We're here for you. Send us a message on the Instagram. We will reply. We will reply. And to all our friends that said they were going to listen to our podcast and actually haven't yet. Dead to us. (laughs) Dead. No, we're joking. We're joking. No shade. No shade. Anyway, thank you. Thank you so much. We love you. See you next year. See ya. Cinephile Paradiso is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Always was, always will be, Aboriginal land.